HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special New England show. It's a winter going on in 2016. We're up here at Merrimack, Massachusetts, Tamarack Farm with Mark Zappazzotti, our good buddy from New York City, and his friend Patrick Susi, the chef at uh, Applecrest Orchard up in uh, Hampton Falls, New Hampshire. So this is kind of fun for me. It's a homecoming, being back in my, in my hometown, Haverhill, Massachusetts, for uh, winter uh, going into 2016. Uh, Heritage Beer Network is sponsored by uh, Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of great world-class ales and ciders. And uh, looking forward to uh, having a great year, 2016. Cheers. Cheers. Guys, thanks for coming on the show with me, Salud. Patrick and Mark. So um, let's just talk about, about uh, the scene up here. Mark, you know, you, you were in New York City. You were an award-winning home brewer. Uh, you were doing a lot of things, and uh, you moved up to Merrimack, Massachusetts. Yep, I traded my... Uh my 49 by 100 square foot lot for 43 acres, and I didn't look back. Well, it's kind of fun. Earlier you gave me a tour, and I wasn't sure what, what to expect, but I called you the other day and I said, are, are you in, in uh, Massachusetts? And, and you were. It's the first time I've been to your farm. You've been there for, what, three years? Yeah, go, going on four years, and uh, uh, about three and a half at this point. And, uh, you know, farming is, uh, uh, one thing I learned being here so far is that farming is a long game. If you come in here with your sort of New York impatience that you want to get something done in a week or two weeks or a month, you're going to be uh, sadly mistaken because um, everything on a farm is long. So what are you, what are you raising here? You know, you're on a historical um, farm. I am. I am. This farm has been a farm for uh, a couple hundred years running. Uh, the house was built in 1759. Um, the first hundred years, there's no record, uh, but from... From the from that point on, um, it, it's uh, it's said to have been an apple orchard. Um, we don't have much apples left, but I am raising uh, um, um, uh, Dorset uh, Horn Dorset lambs, um, growing hops, and uh, um, I'm having a thriving little cordwood business as well. Great man, and this is your buddy Patrick Susi. Nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you as well. So uh, you're a chef here in in the area. I am chef in uh, coastal New England, up in New Hampshire. So tell us about Applecrest. So Applecrest, it's a one of the oldest uh, apple orchards in uh, New Hampshire, right? Yep. So Applecrest Farm is about 104 years old. It's uh, the oldest and largest apple orchard in New Hampshire. It's extremely beautiful, sacred place. It's uh, located six miles from the Atlantic Ocean, so you get that ocean breeze. You can actually 
smell the the you can smell the fresh salt water and you can see the fog um, out in the orchard when you when you're sitting at the restaurant. It's just absolutely breathtaking. Tell you one thing I like. We're usually in the Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And today we're at Mark's farmhouse here. <laughs> Merrimack, we're, we're, we're close to New Hampshire, where, where, where Patrick's place is, and we're not too far from Boston. But you're also, you said you can get to Maine in about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, you can be in southern Maine, where a lot of stuff has been going on as well, um, in 20 minutes from here. You can be in Portsmouth in 20 minutes. You can be in the White Mountains in under an hour. You can be in Boston in 45 minutes. Um, you could be... You could be hiking in 20 minutes one direction, or you can be on the beach in, 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 uh, in 20 minutes in another. So this is sort of right on Vacation Line Highway. So this is great. This is we're going to talk about in this kind of micro region, which has so much history, where you guys are doing some new things. Just, and the recent issue of a Beer Advocate, it's funny because we had some of the Hudson Valley brewers up, and we coined the new primitives because they were working with some of their microflora and, and, and local ingredients. And I kind of feel like you guys are doing the same thing up here. Well, I mean, that's, that's sort of the idea. You know, I, when I came up here, my ambition wasn't to be a sheep farmer. My, invi- my ambition was to come up here and, 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 and put a brewery on this property. But again, like I said, <clears throat> in, in, uh, in farm life, things take a little longer than you expect. And if you, I have to be a little bit more patient. It takes a little bit longer uh, to sort of get things off the ground. Um, not, to, not to mention money, but it, it, it certainly takes a little bit more effort than you think. Um, than just uh, than than you would than you would imagine. So let's go like item by item. So I know you're growing hops. But mm-hmm. One day your goal is to have a little brewery on your property. Yes, with a tasting room. Yes. Now tell us what what you're up against to do that in in the real world. Uh, money. <laughs> well, the, you know, I mean, there's that there was a, you know I had to purchase the farm first, which of course uh, you know that took any capital that I had in order to to make a brewery. So it's t- it's taking a little while to sort of get in the position to actually uh, to, to actually put the building up. Um, it also you know um, you mentioned some of the infrastructure needs. Yeah, because um, of where we're located, we're not on town uh, sewer, so I'd have to put in the septic. Which anybody out there that's done this stuff knows. It's a huge, huge cost up front. So it's the wastewater. Yes, you know, where your wastewater goes, and you know, and and your plumbing, and you know, and the the build the building itself is not that intricate. It's just that um, it's the it's the septic. It's really that's the big the ticket item. Um, and it's a small town. We're not in a city, so towns function a little bit differently. You can't just go to the city council and say I want to do this, or you you have to go to the town and they have to have a hearing of your peers, and it's not always as easy as you think. Um, so we're, we're sort of taking it slowly, um, and, um, making sure all our I's are dotted and T's are crossed before we take that next step. But in the meantime, you, you've been growing hops. I've been growing hops. You know, my, my ambition was to come up here and, st- and start growing hops. And I did, uh, and I've had some pretty good success. Um, I've also had some pretty devastating failure because of, uh, because of, uh, downy mildew. Uh, downy mildew is what killed off, um, the hops in this region back in the early 1900s, um, although they're manageable this, these days, um, I sort of tried to take it the more holistic, um, um, organic approach, and um, it doesn't always work. Uh, so I had a little bit of uh, I had a little bit of, of issues last year um, with the crop. Um, so. It's not as always easy. I was as you in think. your backyard. What do you have? About a half acre of, of just hops? yeah. It's just about just under a half acre, and it's set up to be more than an acre, if I want to. But you know, I'm sort of I sort of wanted to make sure that I can dial it in every year before I expanding is easy. Getting it right is the hard part. So you feel like one day you're gonna have a brewery on this property, and you'll be using your own hops and your own beer. Yeah, I mean that's the goal. I never I never came, I didn't want to come up here and say, hey, I'm gonna become a hop farmer because that's just not realistic. But growing hops that you can then use in your own product is where I was going. And, um, you know, there are also, uh, there's, a, there's a malting house here in New England called Valley Malt. Um, and um, they are, they are uh, um, they're sort of cutting edge. They're one of the, uh, I think they're only the only malt house up in, up in this area. And they've been servicing the, the, the local breweries, but... I think that they could use a little bit more capacity uh, to be able to 
to be able to service more people. It's in, in other words, I don't think that they can make enough for the demand that they have here. But so that's sort of on the agenda in the future as well is to maybe grow a little bit of grain here um, so that one of these days you can have a beer that's completely made on premise. Yeah. I see that a lot on my end too in, in restaurant. see that quite a bit now with who we're using for, for wheat, for rye, for oats, mm-hmm. um, and not in terms of brewing, but in terms of bread baking at the restaurant, <laughs> which also is the same idea where they're trying to, com- they're trying to compete with, you know, the industry, their prices are much higher and we would gladly support them because we feel we're getting the product that's worth the money. Um, but they're in the same position to not be able to outgrow their businesses as well yeah. because uh, they could be supplying both restaurants and brewers mm-hmm. um, with the rye and the red wheat and the malted or the, or the wheat to sell to the malt houses. Right. Um, it, there's a lot of that obviously going across America right now, and I feel it's beyond a trend. I don't think it's going to reverse. Um, but it is tricky to watch um, how to grow these businesses in the way that all of this demand from the consumer now is where is it coming from, who's doing it, and locally made beer projects have been proven to sell fantastic on the market. So anytime you see a local brewery, it doesn't matter if it's in New York or in Massachusetts, with a cult following and they have um, uh, you know, a, a project with a local grain or local whatever that's in the beer, that beer takes off without yeah. much advertisement. No, and we'll talk more about that later in the show, but I'm going to get more introduction to you, Patrick. So what we're drinking in the glass is kind of what brought us you guys together today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mark, tell us about the cider we're drinking. Well, um, I, I we're drinking uh, barrel fermented cider um, from. Yeah, you can pour me, buddy. We're drinking barrel fermented cider from the apples come from. I don't. Again, my my farm is no longer an apple orchard right now. Uh, all my old all my apple trees have been removed, and we're we're going to start clean at some point. Uh, but cheers, guys, and. Uh, um, so I get my apples. I've been getting my apples from various apple orchards. I mean, I am. I, uh, let me just just go back a bit. When I f- came to New England, I didn't care less about cider. And I'll just be honest with you. I didn't. I never really. It never really did much for me. I wasn't ne- ever really blown away by it. But when I moved up to New England, I'm in the middle of apple nirvana. So like, I started t- having ciders and going to all these apple orchards, and then. I decided, hey, well, maybe I should try to do it myself, and I and I crushed some of the apples that from the two remaining trees that were on my my land, and I had great success with my house, uh, my farmhouse strain, um, and fermenting out my farmhouse beer strain, fermenting apples, and I had such good success, and I was really so blown away by it that I've just been absolutely bitten by the the cider bug. So not only I've been making cider alongside hand in hand with with brewing these days, but these apples come from Applecrest. Uh, I traded. That's a, I love the story. <laughs> I traded. We were, farmers are all about bartering, and uh, I bartered with Applecrest uh, one of my rams um, for for thirty bushels of apples. Sounds like a sheep. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, you know, Applecrest is is the exclusive, uh, uh, the, the only restaurant that gets my that gets my lamb raised here. So tell uh, us. So, so you're at Applecrest. Let's tell us more about Applecrest. So this is this historical apple orchard up in New Hampshire. It is. Yep. It's been there over a hundred years. Um, fourth generation farm. Um, absolutely gorgeous land. We raise over eighty items of produce for the restaurant, um, and we grow tons and tons of apples, um, all different varieties. Uh, the list goes on. Um, looking at possibly getting some heirloom apples on the farm. Right now, we're um, we're actually. Bringing in beautiful heirloom apples um, from Poverty Lane Orchards, um, which comes from Cider Hill. I'm sorry, not Cider Hill, uh, Farnham Hill. Farnham Hill, yeah. um, So if you're familiar with Farnham Hill ciders and how absolutely flawless their ciders are, um, we're using some of those same apples on the farm for our vinegars. Um, and we have something in a glass I'm pouring now um, that's from... Uh, some of those apples mixed with you our made apples. this cider. This cider that we just poured now. Yep, um, we just had Mark's awesome cider that we bartered the lamb for. <laughs> it was good old fashioned New England bartering. Yeah. So we got a lamb um, and gave you some really really nice early Max Jersey Max mm-hmm. Grovstein, and I believe the other apple we had was uh, Ida Red. You know, I, but that I was, think it, it might have been super, all Max. Really? That's I a super fresh cider, Mark. I mean, yeah. how did you make that cider? Well, what, what I like to do, you know, everybody has a different sort of uh, way of looking at making cider. I mean, and I'm a total novice, so if pe- people can knock me all they want. I don't care because I don't really know much. But 
I know my palate, and what I like to do is drink ciders ultra fresh. I ferment them. I crush the apples here, and I, as soon as I'm done crushing them, I pitch the yeast. I don't wait at all, and, and as soon as it's done fermenting, I crash it, and I keg it. And I think you have just dynamite results with drinking um, ciders that fresh. Yeah. And and I love um, I love that we just poured this right after his. So mm. yours had a nice cheese to it. That was the barrel aged one. It was yes, good. and I mean cheese barrel fermented. Like barrel fermented. Yes, rather. Yeah. I ferment it in the barrel and then I take it out in the barrel and I crash it right to keg. And it um, it, it had a beautiful acidity from the early apples that you can really get when they're still I mean, that, that's green. what would you know convert a lot of people to a really good cider. What what you what you made? You know? Yeah, yeah. It was barrel fermented. It had a really unique aroma to it. Um, very very meaty. And it drank like a dream. It was crisp. It was it was really uh, grassy because, uh, and it's great that I can have a connection from knowing these apples and where they came from. And the early apples off the ground, and when I grab and I'm walking around the orchard, they're just insanely complex and tart, and not for everybody. Yeah. But I think what you just poured was such palatable deliciousness. Thank you. Moving forward into this point, <clears throat> this is very good. This is. Did you make this? I did. This is um, a very lightly carbonated um, because of the apples that are in it. Now I like I like that Mark Mark went through what he does with his because I actually do a different end of of the uh, spectrum and it's fun to taste two side by side. So I press my juice and I let it hang out for at least a couple of days. Um, and what I, what that does is such a naturally because everything we do is unpasteurized and straight raw from at the, at the farm. So when we pressed this particular blend, this was um, a mixture of uh, the heirloom apples that we're getting from Poverty Lane, and this is a mixture between our late harvest. We just tried the early harvest apples, mm -hmm. and now we're on to the late harvest. It apples. tastes a little funkier. Well, it's funkier Developed because flavor, I like. Yeah. I think that's what I get from when I let my cider hang out. I actually wait till it starts to ferment, which I, oh, this is this is also you. Oh, that's I wait till it starts to ferment just a touch, but I do this in a very clean, sterilized environment. Let it start to naturally take on. Then I introduce some yeast to it, making sure that what I'm pitching into is about 68 degrees because I like to use a pretty loud yeast. Um, I have a wild yeast strain that I've been trying to keep my own from that I actually captured from one of the batches I did wild. Just so happened it worked out for me that it was a good strain, got some good esters to it, and, um, and that's what's in this glass. What I do after it ferments is I move it on to secondary and I taste it. And I say, all right, where does this need to go? Is this, is this good to go? Sometimes you get those ones you hit, like his, you drink, you're like, psh, perfect, bottle it. Um, sometimes with the later apples from my, with my wild yeast, I get some different stuff that I'm not really into. Maybe it's because I'm a chef and I'm always trying to manipulate recipes. But I think it's uh, what this has in it is another three weeks of apples steeped. So I bring the apples home. These are all the heirloom varieties that I think the cider is missing. And I steep it. It's a good trick for the home brewer to really put some complexities in their cider that don't exist, because unlike beer, when the cider's fully fermented, you can fix it. You can really manipulate it. You can change it completely. You can, you know, and beer's kind of a little differently and when I, I'm a home brewer as well, that, you know, when, I, when you screw it up, you screw it up. So it's great when you have a cider that, you know, it's got some good talent to it. You look at it, oh, it's pretty delicious, but it's just a little in fill in the blank. It could be, you know, light body, funky. It could need acidity. It could be too acidic. So this, for me, I thought needed a little bit of body and finish. That's my favorite part about this is finish. If you let this warm up for just one second, and it's got a nice little hay straw color to it, there's no added sugars to it, it's completely unpasteurized, and it's completely wild yeast. This sat on apples called Wixen, um, Colville, Baldwin, and Northern Spy. And that gives this that really long sugary candy-like finish, which I think rides the cider really well. That's great, man. We're off to a good start. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. 
In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's a special New England show. It's a winter just about 2016. We're up in Merrimack, Massachusetts. We've got Patrick Susie from Applecrest Farm Bistro and Mark Zapazotti, the malt shed. We're on his farm drinking ciders. All right. So this is the, so you're, tell us more about your cider, uh, Patrick. Well, um, this, this, this particular blend, um, again, it just needed a touch more acidity, so I, I kind of used a quick little tip that I have for uh, the home fermenters if they don't have time and if they're a schmuck like I am and like to cut corners. <laughs> you, can add, you can add your um, apple of choice chopped up in a sterilized container. When you pull your um, cider over to secondary fermentation off of the yeast, you can really add some body to it by adding certain apples that will steep into it. Mark had a great point, and I'd like um, you know, Mark to kind of ask me some questions because he well, we're sitting next to the wood stove in his kitchen. <laughs> I just had to put a lot on the farm. We're about to put some uh, chestnuts on the open fire. Too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, Mark, your question was uh, really, really valid. Yeah, um, I, I, I would. I was curious on whether, when you add, even if you have a finished cider, if you're adding apples later, does it referment? Uh, it depends on how clean it was when you racked it. Uh, but for me, yes, it does start to um, add a second kind of bubble to it. Mm-hmm. I just make sure that I have very limited, if not any headspace um in my fermenter and once i think after two or three days when it starts to you know develop a little bit of those aromas from soaking on these we're talking real high tannin apples which you can get some tannins on this as well um like northern spy and the spitzenberg and the wixen after a couple days if i get what i want out of it what i do is i i i go old school new england on it i wait till (laughs) it's a night i watch the weather because it's perfect. Sometimes I see, okay, what's the absolute low on the weather today? And it says low of 36. I say, all right, perfect. I shove that sucker out there in the secondary. I let it crash. And I pretty much, because I don't have any glycol, I'm just a home fermenting guy. I, ha- I let it crash outside overnight at 36 degrees. And in the morning, you'll already see a second block slowly releasing from the middle. So then I bring it back inside the house and I wrap it up And some foil. It stays really, really cold. I just want two around it. I put it right in my basement floor, and that's what we're drinking here. So I, I, I kind of cold crash a little bit, which also, once I rack off for the third time, the bottle, or to keg, um, is very limited so yeast. So from when you, when you first started making this until now, how long has it been? Well, this here, this was, uh, this was pressed in October. This, these are October apples. Yeah, so for just a couple of months, it has a lot of depth of flavor. It does, yep. Yeah. Um, and again, I probably like to sit for I think I sit for a week on the uh, on the Colvilles, Baldwin's, Spitzenberg's, Northern Spies. So Applecrest, so it's it's one of the historical kind of orchards that's in New Hampshire. I know they had an apple train. People would go from Boston from up there. I was They'd reading about a little far, bit. far before our and time. And they just invested in this restaurant that your chef at Farm Bistro. Yep. Um, I know there's a lot of backstory about you as a chef. You won uh, Star Chefs, Rising Star Chef. You, you were a chef in Newburyport. Um, quick quick overview of what you're doing there as a chef working on this historical farm. Um, probably the best question a chef could ask, you know, answer rather is, you know, I, I got, I got you know, lucky. I'm blessed. I got to learn about the farms in the area. Working as a chef, I used a lot of farms, and I still do use quite a bit of farms um, other than ourselves. We... Uh, We've been working together for over 10 years. It, it made sense. They opened this project, and they contacted me and said... So you're using, you're using a lot of local ingredients. A lot of ingredients from your farm as well. In, yes. And your food. A lot of ingredients from our farm, even right now into the middle of December. Um, we decided, hey, you know, let's uh, let's let's start thinking about this in July. So in June and July, we are, we're already thinking about the off months, and now we're reaping the benefits of that. We're in the middle of, 
December now. We're going to hit January soon. We're going to 2016. We still have over 600 pounds of tomatoes processed. We still have uh, over 100 pounds of sauerkraut and fermented vegetables going. And we have a lot of cool stuff that we're going to be featuring. On the, a lot of charcuterie. We have pork legs hanging for country ham. We're smoking some country ham. We're doing some uh, New England style prosciutto, we like to call it. Uh, we're curing pig cheeks and doing copa. Lots and lots of whole animal butchery going on at the restaurant. So we've been preparing for the winter as you would in the old days of New England. We try to pay a lot of homage to that, which comes with a lot of work. Um, so Like cr- using crocs, doing fr- Absolutely, crocs everywhere. Um, meat hanging everywhere at the proper. And what are some of the dishes that, that are on your menu this time of year? Well, this time of year, we, uh, we just finished up using a lot of corn, which was fun to be able to sell corn into the winter because we... Uh, We'd shock it and preserve it. We'd uh, we'd cryovac it. We'd can it, jar it, pickle it. So we, we've been using a lot of that stuff later on. Now that that's gone, we win a lot of winter squashes, um, Boston marrow squash, a lot of heirloom pumpkins. Um, we preserved a lot of meat, like I said before. We're breaking into to our own country hams now, which have been aging for about seven, eight months um, from pigs that we butchered. And we raised our own goat on the farm that we've been dry aging for over, uh, over a month and a half now. We just started putting that in the menu. Um, so when you come into Applecrest, even in the middle of the winter, you're, you're thinking, well, why, why should I drive to a huge farm in the middle of the seacoast of New Hampshire to eat? You're actually still getting everything from the farm in the winter um, because that's how we base our entire restaurant. If we were to survive as New Englanders 200 years ago, we'd like to pay a little bit of homage to that. What are some of the classic dishes... That you would, if you thought of New England, 19th century, you might be right off the bat. Well, best part about well, we're paying homage to the overall thought and process of um, New Englanders, rather than trying to recreate what they did. Um, we focus on making sure that while we do pay homage to some New England ingredients like chowders, and we have fried oysters, and uh, then again, they didn't have fried oysters in the 19th century; they weren't big on that. It was more about um, salt pork in uh, salt cod and preserving that way. So we do that as well. We do salt hake. Um, we make our own salt pork. Uh, and we, we like to make sure that we always have some fried seafood on the menu, which came way later. So kind of dances around your question. But we, we like to make sure that we can be the future of New England, um, which somebody has to do. Somebody has to take the reins and say, okay, chowder, fantastic. Salt pork, awesome. Brown bread, classic. But where can we go from here to kind of, you know, bring New England past the lobster roll? <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 I know. You, you make lamb sausage. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, we don't stick ourselves in a box to say, hey, you know what? We're not, we're not going to get caught up in the – we're not going to, you know, jump and die on our own local sword because we do everything possible to take care of our own community. As you can see across the country, that's becoming more and more the norm, which is fantastic. But what we try to do is make sure that we don't stay in a box and say, all right, we only use New England product. Uh, we make beautiful sausage out of the lamb that comes uh, from Mark's farm. Uh, and we use, you know, influences from my travels to Spain that I've had these sausages and, and things down there that it was just a whole different world. It was, so we, we do actually some New England lamb, but we use cocoa powder, chili peppers that we dried from the farm, cinnamon, uh, brown sugar. So we bring in ingredients from around the world. I mean, right now we're doing our own wow. carrots roasted in coconut oil, um, and we finished it with, with smoked lime, and it's just fun to play. So when you come to Applecrest Farm, it's not just New England. It's uh, influenced by all around the world, but the product came from the farm. So how did you guys meet? So how did you, 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 you're selling your lamb to, to his restaurant? and Well, the, it's, it's actually a pretty interesting you're story. You're bartering apples and now we're tasting your ciders. When I, first, when I first moved up here, I obviously am a beer guy. So I, I, I emerged myself in the beer culture in New England. And uh, uh, one of the first people who I, you know, uh, made friends with when I came here was, was uh, Steve Sanderson from Riverwalk. And uh, um, Riverwalk was always extraordinarily uh, gracious to me. Um, so that, that's a brewery in It's Newburyport, a brewery in Newburyport. Yeah, he's, he's originally from Amesbury, and he, and he has a brewery in, in, uh, in Newburyport. And he's a salt-of-the-earth guy. Him and I have a lot of similar background. We both are, are former musicians. We sort of like the same things. We both brew. 
Um, him and I go see shows all the time. So we just sort of hit it off. And his head brewer is actually Patrick's cousin. Um, and uh, Christian, when I first, his name is Christian. And when I first moved up here, Christian came up and helped me set the poles for the hop yard. I barely knew him. And he came over here and he just spent days working here for nothing. And I always, I always, uh, I always hold it. I always respect someone that comes to a farm and, and, and works for the, for the love of the work, because a lot of farm work you can't pay for. A lot of it has to be done with love and people pick up on what you're doing is sincere and they help you anyway. So, so Christian and I hit it off as well and we became good friends and he was like, you know, you really need to meet my cousin Patrick because you guys would just hit it off. And, you know, I didn't know anything about Patrick. You know, I don't, I'm not what you would call a foodie. Um, but you know, obviously I'm an Italian, so I like to eat. <laughs> and, and, uh, so, you know, he was, he was, he was a chef at say in Newburyport, which is probably the only place that I would, that I like to eat at the time in Newburyport. Um, and, uh, you know, him and I just obviously Chris, Christian was right. Cause Patrick and I hit it off right away. He's insanely passionate about everything he does to the point of madness and I think I've been accused the same, <laughs> the same with brewing. So him and I just we go back and forth, and then 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 the whole cider thing just sort of blossomed, and you know, so we, it just it just worked out. It just it was one of those things where you know, and he's a whole old Haverhill guy. I wish I wish Christian could have made it. He was going to see Kill Switch Engage in, in, in Rhode is, Island, so he couldn't make it. Here I got tonight. I got guys that come up to me like, hey, I finally met somebody is absolutely insane as you. <laughs> His name is Mark Zapp. I'm like, yeah, yeah. My wife's like, hey, I never thought I saw so much intensity in one conversation in my life and to see these two talk well, I about just knew when, when Mark said we, we'd come over here and do a show today and he, he recommended you, I knew there would be something going on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm learning the same as you guys on the air. We're li- listeners. You're learning the same as me. So so let's let's switch back. So, Mark, I, know, I knew you as a, a home brewer and, uh-huh. and you aspire to be a brewer professional brewer but what did you pour for us because you're still making home brews of course of course and you've uh, got that crazy when, when you see the show the, the photo is going to be marked in front of his what is it your sculpture my brewing is art sculpture um brewing is art is something that i did with my friend scott van campen who owns makerspace in staten island um and he he helped me build this brewing sculpture um that it, it looks like a piece of art but it actually makes beer so this beer has been brewed on it that that we're that we're about to drink. Um, it is my smoke beer, which I like to call Fire Pit Ale, and it's um, a lot of smoke malt. <laughs> what I've learned is that you cannot put enough smoke malt in a smoke beer. That's gorgeous. I like it very much. It's 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 creamy. Like yeah, it too. It's, it's not as like th- thick or like overly smoky like one of the Schlenkerlers. Right. I mean, like, a lot of Roush beers that are made now. I'm a hu- I'm not going to diss Roush beers because I'm a huge fan of them. But a lot of them tend to be a little bit darker um, and tend to be a little bit uh, sweeter. I like I like my beers to be a little drier, so to make it a little. This bit is more like a, a pale ale with some smoke malt. Not exactly. I mean, it's <laughs> it, 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 you're, <laughs> you're simplifying a really, a really. Uh, That's uh, why I like it. Yes, it, it, it drinks like that. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's it's a lot of smoke malt and a lot of Vienna malt, and that's it. Um, and it's 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 fermented with a with a clean yeast strain. This it's funny because this this actual beer that we're drinking, um, I had I had a yeast uh, issue uh, um, when I was fermenting it, and I said, "Oh crap!" I need it was Sunday, and I had. No way of getting any yeast uh, really quickly to save this fermentation. And I quickly called Christian up at Riverwalk and said, do you have a pitch of yeast that I can nab from you to finish this beer off? And, of course, he did. And I was like, "Where?" it was It was 8 a.m. in the morning. And I said, well, where are you? He was like, I'm at the brewery. <laughs> of course, 8 a.m. on a Sunday, he was there. So I ran over mm-hmm. and I got – so this is, this is finished off with a Riverwalk yeast. Uh, it's super dry and absolutely gorgeous and it has a really nice creamy mouthfeel. I think that it's the Vienna. Like I've done this beer with, I've done this beer with Maris Otter. I've done it with, with Bel- Franco Belgian Pills, and I, I just feel like a, I use Bryce Cherrywood Smoke, which I think is sort of the. Uh, this is uh, uh, kudos to Jay Bowen from uh, Forty Nine State. He he turned me on to the to the uh, the Bryce Cherrywood Smoke, but it's Cherrywood Smoke and Vienna Malt, and that's it. And I think the Vienna just carries it just a little bit more sweetness. I mean, it's a liquid smoke. 
No, 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 no. This is a malt. cherrywood smoke. It's probably I don't know what the malt is that they use. I'm gonna assume it's it's probably a pilsner, um, but they smoke it actually at Bryce and uh, with cherrywood. People use all different kinds of 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 of, of wood to smoke malt, smoke grain, but I prefer the cherrywood. And I and I think it has a unique flavor to it. It's kind of almost like people walk in and I pour this for them and they and they go, "This tastes like liquid bacon." And um, I'm like, honestly, yeah. I smoke with a lot of woods. We have our own smoker at the farm. My grill has a built-in smoker. We cold smoke. We hot smoke. We obviously have quite a bit of apple wood and yeah. peach wood, which is a little uh, nice. It's bitter if you use too much of it. Um, but this does have. A really unique flavor. I'm used to applewood a lot. I do a lot of smoking mm. with applewood because that's what we have. Of course. Trimming our trees for years. And um, the peach, this peach smoke is too bitter. Nah, no, peachwood's a gorgeous smoke flavor. But you want to kind of tease with it. We we tease with it when we smoke. We'll do you know 80% apple, 20% peach. But we would never just go straight peach because we haven't had good luck with it. Others might disagree. I think uh, the wood is just a touch too on the bitter side. Um, you know, like mesquite has that classic bitterness that works well for beef. You might not want on your pork. Depends on the person. But uh, the the actual cherrywood smoke on this beer does have a really unique flavor and a little aroma, but the flavor is really unique. Yes. Um, it's really chewy. It's got it's got like a deep smoke yeah, flavor. Yeah. And what I like about it is but, you know, of course, I, I, I brew what I like to drink. I don't brew for any particular audience or market. I brew because it's fall and I want to smoke beer. So I make smoke beer and I have it. And it just so happens that my wife is making like, you know, this really beautiful salmon with, you know, with, uh, with, with a, 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 a basil dressing on it. And the smoke beer just brings out this really wonderful uh, quality in the salmon. And so you're like, hey, I'm talking like, I'm talking like Patrick now. Like I'm totally not a foodie. You know what but you I like. get it. I get it. I get it. Well, I was actually going to ask you what, what food you'd pair with this beer. But <laughs> All right. Hey, we'll take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's winter. It's just about 2016, and uh, Happy New Year, everybody. So, M- Mark, and uh, we're at your farm in Merrimack, Massachusetts. With, we are? With yeah, Patrick Susie from uh, Applecrest Farm Bistro up in uh, Hampton Falls, New Hampshire. It's, it's been a great show. I'm up here for the holidays. We've been tasting some of the ciders and beers that, that you're making. But um, we're talking a little about the challenges of working with, with local hops and ingredients. Uh, so, so take it away, Mark. Well, I mean, I've, I've, again, like I was saying to you before, like I didn't come up here to, to be a hop farmer, I didn't, nor did I come up here to be a, uh, a, a, a sheep, a sheep herder. But it's default what I've become. Now, hops have done well. Um, I've had my challenges with them, uh, um, with you know, with the various uh, issues of trying to be organic, and uh, you know, um, I'm dealing with them, and it and it's 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 tough, but doable. Now, on the positive side, I've really made some beautiful, beautiful beers with the hops that I've grown here. And I have, you know, I grow, I grow Nuggets, Centennial, and Cascade. If anybody's ever interested there, I, you know, you can contact me um, and buy them from me directly. But those three, I, I've learned to master um, very, uh, uh, an, an extraordinary amount of, of beer styles with those three hops. I try to look at brewing as like, what can I brew with? that I have on hand or that what can I brew with, with something that I make now of course I still like I like a, a you know a New Zealand hop just like the next brewer but I I, I I find myself even as a hop grower not straying far from the three that I'm growing because I feel like there are such a rainbow of beers that can be made with those three hops no I understand that but do you think there would be a market for you as a hop grower Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think that there will. But I think that there are some struggles. I think that, you know, I think people in breweries, I think breweries in general like to talk a big game about being local. But when it comes down to dollars and cents, um, they watch your pocketbooks a little bit more. And I understand it's a business, but, you know, it costs me more 
to grow hops than, you know, in the Yakima Valley. So, you know, Centennial, Cascade, and Nugget of fairly generic hops that people can get for a fairly reasonable price. I mean, you know, you could find it for 7 or $8 a pound, and I have to charge 15 in order for it to be even do, even just cost-effective for me. So, yes, can, can, it be, can it be done? Yes. Is it a challenge? Yes. And you have to get a... And is to, there interest from breweries in, in this region... For, for making beers with local hops? There has been, but there's been a little bit of resistance, I'm not, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. it. It's been a little bit of a challenge for me to sell my, my hops to professional breweries. Riverwalk has been the one, uh, uh, you know, jewel in my crown that we do a, a beer, that we do a wet harvest beer with them every single year, um, and I love them for it. It's um, phenomenal. And it's good. It's different it's, every year. Yeah. And you know, I, I've even I've talked to Todd Mott uh, about doing a wet harvest harvest and, uh, beer tributary. Yeah, in, in Kittery, yeah. You know, Yoda, the Yoda of the brewing world. He's great, and we talked about doing some stuff in the future too. But I mean, you know, to be a viable hop farm, people have to buy all your hops, and if they don't buy all your hops, the product is so labor intensive, and to make that it becomes not cost effective after a while. So. I have stopped short of expanding until, A, I can get it all dialed in without any sort of uh, issues, and B, that I make sure that my harvest is sold. So you're going to need one day like an army of students to come <laughs> harvest hops. <laughs> free, free, yes, free help. Yes, free Which help. Which is the is history good. of it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you guys, a little snippet. This is over in New Hampshire, Massachusetts border, northeast in New England. Mm-hmm. Pick a couple breweries. that tell you're putting together a little bistro, you know, beer list. What are some breweries that, that you'd, you you would put on your list? For we actually beers? just did that. We do that with our list often, and um, we actually just threw the first uh, of our own October feast. Um, it was awesome. We had ten breweries come to the restaurant, um, ten local breweries. We had ten chefs. It was a huge. So what are the breweries that, that you worked with? Uh, some of our favorites, uh, definitely Earth Eagle Brewings in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. They have a great lineup of Gruets. And we're good fans of Gruitz. Um, they also have some other beautiful beers that they make with uh, foragers uh, that we know very well. Mushroom beers, pig head beers. They made a, <laughs> yeah. they made a beer out of a, a smoked bear meat. Um, they're, they're, they're out of their minds, and we love them dearly. Uh, another one would be uh, Stoneface in Newington, New Hampshire. They have such a good following so far. Um, they are just knockout quality. Big, I like to call them East Coast style IPAs. Big malt, big hops, but it's still not quite the Imperial. You know, it's just nice. We, we like Stoneface. Uh, we also like to work with uh, another brewery. Um, uh, we uh, Throwback, pardon me. Throwback Brewery. Those girls do a great job. All female power team. Um, they, those ladies, my wife would be yelling at you yeah, by calling them girls. The, those ladies, they, and, and you know what? They are they are some of the best in the business. We really like what they're doing. Yeah, um, they are as local as it can get. Where they, are they out of? They're out of uh, Northampton, New Hampshire. They just bought an old farm. I've yeah, really, they just moved their operations. To they the moved their operation to an old farm. They put it out in the line. They have this great place, and their chef's a good friend of mine, Carrie. She's a sweetheart. Uh, so we have Earth Eagle, Stone Face. We have Throwback, and. I mean, right now we're working with uh, Henniker. Henniker Brewing Company is out of, uh, I believe, if I'm right, Hudson, New Hampshire, um, or Hookset. Actually, no, Hookset's White Birch. White Birch is. White Birch is also a mm-hmm. great brewery. But we're looking at uh, their blue, their blueberry Bill Wise was incredible this year. Yeah, we, uh, we know Bill Herlicka from uh, White Birch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great. He comes great. down to New York City. His blueberry Bill Wise was absolutely stunning. Gorgeous, gorgeous sour beer. Uh, but, yeah, so we, uh, we're working with uh, Henniker. Uh, they have a beer called Gentleman Farmer, which is a cross between some local hops and New Zealand hops. Uh, very spicy, gorgeous, like, rich flavor to it. Um, that's a limited series we're selling uh, right now at the restaurant for um, in our retail store as well as our restaurant. Patrick, why don't you talk about uh, your collaboration with Allagash? Uh, Allagash was a huge collaboration. I'm glad you mentioned that, Mark. That was a... Between the owner of the farm, uh, Todd Wagner, and the owner of Allagash, uh, they've known each other for years. Uh, we did a beer with them called Farm to Face. It's available nationwide if you can find it. Um, huge cult following. Jump on the old uh, 
interweb. Oh, yes, farm to face. Farm to face. It's a beer that we uh, we actually uh, sold them. I believe this year was nine thousand pounds of peaches. Um, we did seven thousand pounds of peaches the year before, and they made a batch of uh, a sour sour beer with peaches with our peaches, and it is only available in the small little. I think it's a three fifty bottle, corked, beautiful presentation with the apple crest logo on the front that's available nationwide um but it is just it's hard to find jump online there are already auctions for it we have it at farm bistro we have the 2014 and we have the 2013 so i also have a bottle stashed in my basement at this very moment (laughs) (laughs) the basement beneath us i did not know that i should say let me rephrase that in my cellar yeah in your cellar i know there's a lot of cool stuff going on around up here and and thanks for sharing so mark we're on another beer that you made what's this one this is uh this is a beer that's near and dear to my heart this is a triple um i make it you don't have it here this is yours (laughs) you got me um this is this is a triple that i make with only pilsner malt um and a a long slow mash uh uh, process it's i'm kicking it old school like West Mall is my favorite. You know, my, have, my favorite Patrick example. Patrick and I only came in to drink your beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's only, I, I, I can I can put you guys out, man. I got a lot of beer. The only here. way you can get Mark Zappazotti's beers is to come to his farm right now. So. That's right. right. And the best part about it is that they're free when you come here. And you're, <laughs> you're yeah, right. why don't you? Uh, right now they're free. It's actually better if the world doesn't find out about Mark Zapp's beer because if you find out what's going on with the malt shed, you are gonna. We're not going to have any more free beer. <laughs> oh, no, you guys will always have free beer. Anyway, this is this is a triple, um, and um, I, I sort of do it the process like like West Mall does. They have a direct fire kettle, much like I do, and um, they take uh, uh, like three hours to ramp the temperature up from mash in all the way to to uh, you know to mash out, and that long slow slow process. It goes through every spectrum of the uh, uh, of of protein rests and sacrificial rests and all that stuff, and it and it also because it's direct fired, it caramelizes. All my brewing is art is a direct fired system, so it caramelizes the malt in in a, in a very particular way that you can't get with steam jacketed uh, um, uh, um, yeah, kettles and, and such. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so that that's sort of this is my ode to the West Mile Triple. Wow, that's interesting. Um, so it's is there great, any is it, there any candy it. sugar in this? Or? There is, but um, I've I've in recent years I've dialed it back quite a bit because I like to be able. Yeah, I used to make it in the past and not be able. To, it was so hot yeah. that you couldn't drink it for six months, and I just not not a good business model. So I tweaked my recipe a little bit to be a little bit more drinkable. This is this is a fairly young triple. It's probably only about. Three or four weeks old. I took half the batch and I force carbonated it, and half the batch I bottled conditioned. Well, I think uh, it has a good stickiness to it, which a triple should have, but it's got that candy sugar dryness to it um, with right. the big, uh, you know, almost honey like. I like the lacing on the glass. Yeah. Patrick, do, do you think that you have such a good. Uh, Excuse me, I'm going to go uh, get myself. A beer vocabulary because uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I mean, I like, I like the way you described. I was a saucier, uh, saucier when I was a youngin' for uh, uh, a German chef. So my job for a year and a half was to make sure the sauces are correct, and there were 17 sauces on the list, uh, both of the two-day shelf life. So besides our bechamel, everything had a two-day shelf life. So I, I do think a lot of the best tasters have gone through. I think maybe that's training. what it was. Yeah. Maybe it was the two years of saucier, which was every day of my life. I was scared to death of my German chef. <laughs> um, or maybe it's uh, cheers, just cheers. the fact that it's uh, absolutely delicious, mm. and I've had a little bit of experience with brewing triples, just I don't know much about I'm definitely no good. Yeah, it does brewer. kind of taste like a half triple. I knew it was stronger, and um, got about a few more minutes left on the show. All right, um, last couple of questions. So, Mark, mm-hmm. going back to your, your dream here, what's interesting is that you, you, you're doing everything for a farm brewery, right? We have a farm, and you're growing hops. Mm-hmm. So, so this little system you have, which is which is brilliant, and, and it's going to open fire. Uh, how would you translate that into a commercial brewery? Like, would you be designing your own system, or, or would you uh, buy something? Oh, in a perfect world, I would love to design my own system. But the reality is, is I'll probably want to buying a system when I'm ready that will suit um, that will suit the the purpose of this farm. But I, I love I love the direct fire only because you don't get these fra- these flavor qualities out of a system that's not direct fired. And I mean, you know. Maybe maybe I might be just you know uh, 
Maybe I just might be being a little ridiculous because this is only just one beer, but this one particular beer sort of defines the type of brewer that I like to be because it's it's very labor intensive, it's very simple, and it's very complex. So it's it's got all the elements that I really like. It's big, it's bold, and it's simple. And that's sort of the way I am and um, the way that I sort of want to brew beer. And also, you know, I mean, what I'm interested, you know, in doing as a brewer um, is I, I, I have no interest in, in the packaging market. I have no interest of putting my beer on a shelf that's going to get old and no, nobody will drink. My beer is going to be brewed from my local community in a 10-mile radius. That's all I'm interested in. I'm not interested in package brewing. I'm not interested in, I mean, maybe some bottling on premises, but otherwise... I'm brewing for my community, my friends, and for the utmost the, the, myself. The direct fire is interesting. I'm just going to throw this out there. Mm-hmm. Um, our good friends in uh, outside of uh, New Haven, uh, Be United, they're, they're importers of all the beers you heard of from, you know, Schneiderweiss to, to Schlenkerla. Um, the, the son, Ben, opened a brewery a couple years ago called OEC. Mm-hmm. And he he's basically has an op- a direct fire 19th century German system <laughs> that has computers and things. So, right. so it's modern, right. and they even have a cool ship. So I'm saying you're onto something. I feel like whether you're in the Hudson Valley or New Primitive, yeah. work with Michael Floor or, or you're, you're a farm brewer like right. Mark, I think like embrace the you know original, you know, traditional Yes, know, it's actually a brand-new brewery we're actually working with as well at Applecrest. They are called Neighborhood Brewing. I uh, urge you to check them out at uh, Neighborhood Brewing. It's called Neighborhood Brew Company. They are out of Exeter, New Hampshire, and they have a direct fire, I believe, German system. They hired a an older fellow from Germany that has uh, a lot of metals to bring forth nothing but the best German-style beers with no funny business, and we're working with them as if well. If he's German, it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. I, think, I think my wish for 2016 is that, is that this is what we shall do, is, is examine all these traditional ways of making beer. And um, last question, Patrick. So this seems like all this great new. He's, he's just put something. He's put chestnuts in the open fire, <laughs> brought them out for us. And uh, I think we got some cool stuff going on. So, uh, Mark, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, really thanks for being this. here, Jimmy. You're always welcome, buddy. And, uh, Patrick, I, I, it was great meeting you. I think we have a lot more stories to cover up here in uh, Kind of New Hampshire, Massachusetts corner up here. I think I think Patrick and I need to come down to Charles, New York. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We do need to come down. To we New need York. to come down to New York and spend a night or two. I was I just in New York. Fun. I was in Brooklyn. I had a great time. Great. Mm. You guys come down. We'll hang out at Jimmy's number forty-three. Thanks again, Mark and Patrick, for joining me on the Heritage Radio. Network. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks to our producer Justin Kennedy, engineer Jack Insley. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.